You're listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence, and I've had the opportunity to interview many of those who are making a difference at the intersections of yoga and health. And I'm here to share with you their stories and conversations. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Jennifer Kriatsolis. Jennifer is a certified yoga therapist specializing in eating disorders and body image. She's a sought-after international speaker and former host of Real Body Talk, an online interview talk show. Through her virtual school, Yoga for Eating Disorders, Jennifer offers individual yoga therapy, groups, classes, and continuing education and mentoring for professionals. She's the author of Body Mindful Yoga and The Courageous Path to Healing, and her writing has been featured widely in print, broadcast, and online media. We're going to talk with Jennifer about her life and work today. Thanks so much for being here, Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. It's, it's a real joy to be here with you. So can we start by having you share a small snippet of your story and why you are drawn to this work? Perhaps you can even share it with us in the way in which you framed it in the introduction to your book, The Courageous Path to Healing. Yes, absolutely. So a big part of my story is a relapse of an eating disorder that happened when when I was 38 and I had two children under the age of three and found myself very sick again, very, very sick. Motherhood for me both absolutely wonderful, beautiful gift and very overwhelming and challenging in the beginning. I'm sure other parents who are listening can relate to that. And so in that overwhelm, in the sleep deprivation, in the postpartum depression, in this sense of losing myself, of not knowing who I am anymore, just getting lost in kind of this new world I was living in as a mother, the eating disorder kind of came back in. I had prior to that, been first diagnosed with an eating disorder in college and did that first round of recovery, the recovery process of understanding what an eating disorder is and how does it function and and why was it showing up in my life? Entering that, you know, that path to healing of learning how to pay attention to my emotions, to my body, to my hunger, to my fullness, to be present in my life without this pressure to be perfect or people-pleasing or some of these other characteristics we can fall into that kind of tend to work against us over time, right? So it was in that process of going through a relapse of needing to leave my family to go into treatment, to seek help, to really immerse myself in the process of finding that healthy place within myself again, that I woke up to the realization that yoga had been something that was foundational in my life shortly, or I'd say a few years after my initial diagnosis with an eating disorder. I'd started practicing yoga. This was something that I had never done before. This gave me an opportunity to connect with my body in ways I never had before. I was always an athlete. And so when the eating disorder first started and an exercise addiction came in, once I started my recovery, all activity was off the table for a while because it just wasn't able to do it in a safe way. And so when I started practicing yoga, that became my safe way. And I practiced and I taught for a long time while I was in graduate school. So a good seven or eight years 
Then I got married, had children, got a job, life got crazy, yoga fell away. And I really realized during that time in treatment that yoga had fallen away, this foundation, this time for self-connection, these teachings that were really supporting me in my practice of self-compassion and taking care of myself had fallen away. And so when I left treatment, part of my determination was to bring yoga back into my life as a practice. And then as I got stronger and healthier to return to teaching and lo and behold, in that time found yoga therapy and started studying yoga therapy when I was in a steady and sturdy, strong recovery. When I was able to do that work, I did not sign up for that three-year program with the intention of supporting others on an eating disorder recovery that never even crossed my mind. That only came to me as I went through the process and did that deeper healing work through the program, also worked with mentors and just realized that if there was anything that I was going to know really authentically and could speak to really authentically, it was the journey of recovery because I had been doing it for 20 years at that point. Wow. Yeah. And thank you for sharing something so vulnerable and through your path also so inspiring and We're going to continue to kind of travel through your story a bit and weave it to your book, your Courageous Path to Healing book, and kind of use it as a catalyst, perhaps, of not only sharing, but also framing it in a way that can be helpful to others and to put the yoga therapy in the context as well. So I love how you divided your book into three parts. The first part, discovery, second part, awakening, third part, embracing. And each section weaves part of your own personal story with practices and prompts for folks to investigate and work with their own situations. So if it's okay, let's move through our conversation in those three parts as well with stories and teachings from each. So let's go to part one, which is called discovery, which I said, and Maybe you can just let us know what are the key themes from this section and can you share a few key takeaways also? I'm thinking about how you discovered that the teachings of yoga can free us from our pain by demonstrating how to let go of our attachment to perfectionism, which I think others who struggle with eating disorders might really relate to. Yeah, absolutely. And probably most human beings, right, can relate relate to perfectionism, whether you have a diagnosis of any sort or not. Yeah, part one discovery for me was this time of both when I was initially diagnosed and then later in the relapse where I was kind of discovering what were those things that had happened in my life or the characteristics that were showing up in within me that were kind of culminating in eating disorder behaviors and thoughts? What was I learning about myself that helped me to understand why this eating disorder was showing up? So just quickly to kind of like conceptualize that in college, my perfectionism was really at its height, right? Which is understandable, right? You're in a, you've left home for the first time, you're in a new environment, you're trying to make friends, you're exposed to new types of academic work. The stakes are high. So for me, that my, my tendency for perfectionism really came out strongly and it came out really strongly in the sports that I was playing, which at the time was, was crew. And so my drive, my attachment to want to be perfect, to be the best, to please my coach, to please my teammates, to really show up and take on this role as 
perfect, as perfection, whatever that even means, right? Like, what does that even mean? I really came to recognize how that that was driving this idea of needing to to prove myself through my body um, and needing to prove myself through my performance. And so when I went away to treatment and was educated on, you know, eating disorders are a way to cope. They're a way to cope. And so for me, this eating disorder was a way to cope with the pressure and the pain of trying to be perfect. But I also discovered that it was a way that I was coping with grief of the loss of a grandparent, the divorce of my parents when I was five, right? Just these things, these traumas that had taken place that I had never really dealt with. And so this was how I was coping with all that was kind of stuck inside of me. And so this discovery process and which the discovery process that I invite readers to is to discover what are like kind of the messages coming through in your thoughts and behaviors. Like I think of an eating disorder as something that's trying to get someone's attention, right? It was trying to get my attention saying, Hey, Jennifer, like you've got a lot of grief. Let's face that. Or this perfectionism thing, this is not working for you, right? This is putting so much pressure on you. Let's deal with that. And then later in life with the relapse, discovering that overwhelm was a feeling that really triggered the eating disorder for me. And so understanding what are those triggers for us, discovering what they are and discovering also our resistance to facing them, because the longer we resist facing them, the stronger our attachments to them grow and the harder it is to let them go. And so I kind of, I like to think of discovery, whether it's for myself or just an invitation for others as a way to kind of look within, discover the triggers, discover the messages, discover the resistances, discover the openings as well, right? What are the openings that you feel within yourself, the motivations that drive you to want, want to heal, to want to change behaviors that aren't serving you. So for me that, you know, just to bring back the perfectionism piece, when I realized that my attachment to that identity of perfection was working against me, that it wasn't an alignment with my recovery values. It wasn't in alignment with what I was learning as a yoga practitioner. Then I became open to saying, okay, let me discover new ways to approach a challenge or to approach a situation. Let me discover who I am without this identity of being a perfectionist. Let's see what other choices are available. Really resonates with me too. And I mean, if we think about ourselves as seekers and students on the yoga path too, and tie it back to sort of the teaching, it's like, that's the first step, right? Having that look, doing that discovery, turning the light on is the first step for anything to change or to take place or to grow from there. So it makes a lot of sense that this is how you open the book, but also was really sort of the first step in your healing process as well. So let's kind of move through to the second part, the awakening part. And this really, I think, focuses on your relapse. So what were some of the key learnings from this section? And then let's talk about some practices you share in order to embody the teachings a bit. Absolutely. So this section, awakening, is me having moments where I really viscerally recognize within myself these incongruencies of how I want to show up and how I'm actually acting, 
what I mean by that is, let me just give an example. I tell the story of it's early in the morning. I'm getting dressed for work. I'm in front of the mirror. I'm ripping myself to shreds with nasty self-talk, trying on this outfit, that outfit, you know, my body image just is really just not in a good place. And I'm, I'm being really nasty to myself and a little knock on the door. And it's my, my little daughter who's just woken up and she had a bad dream. And so I go from this kind of tyrant toward myself to this nurturing, loving mother holding my daughter and assuring her that she is safe and she is loved. And it's moments like that that I was observing, awakening to of these incongruencies of how I'm, I'm showing up within myself and how I'm being in the world. And so for me, awakening was very much about resolving those incongruencies thinking about certainly the cliches, right? All the cliches kind of firing, going off, you know, fear and ego and attachment and all of it. And kind of taking a step back and observing, observing those cliches and, you know, awakening to them and recognizing like, okay, one way that I can resolve, for example, attachment is going to be to resolve this incongruency of how I'm acting how I'm treating myself and how I'm treating others. That was the biggest takeaway for me throughout the awakening. And I think each chapter in that section is kind of highlighting those incongruencies that were showing up. And I think that, again, whether you've had an eating disorder or not, or a diagnosis of another kind, mental health related or not, I think we can all relate to these moments where we catch ourselves acting one way, but it's not really our values. Like it's not the values that we want to be living. I think motherhood shines such a light on that too, doesn't it? Such a great example that you gave. Can you think of any of the practices that you share in that second section of the book that you might be able to just kind of tease out a little bit here with the audience that might be listening so that they can look into it some more? Sure. So in the chapter that I was just referring to about standing in front of the mirror, it's a chapter called Realize You Are More Than Your Body, which obviously we are also our bodies, right? Don't want to discount our physical layer here. That chapter, the practice is around attending to your whole self and kind of bring in the idea of the koshas, that framework that teaches us that we are made of five layers and that they are all interconnected and each is they are interconnected and they all deserve our attention and kindness. And so the practice that I invite people to explore in that chapter is kind of a gentle reflection through each of our layers. So I invite people, they can sit or they can stand, they can lay down, whatever they need, whatever is calling, whatever shape is calling them at that time, and have a little bit of a movement and breathing to help invite readers to notice each of their layers and to just recognize themselves as, in the end, as whole. Mm-hmm. Such a key teaching, isn't it? Yeah. I love the coaches. It's one of my most favorite mm-hmm. frameworks to work with, with clients and within for myself. Sure. Me too. Well, thanks for sharing that. So let's go to the final section, which is called embracing. And it includes what it's like living your recovery and interactions with yourself, your children, your family members and others. And you write that these moments capture the power of choice. So can you give us some glimpses into this, the power of choice and the living lessons you learned on your journey? 
Absolutely. I always say choice is everything when we're working on recovery, but it doesn't have to be a recovery model either, right? It's just this idea, this recognition that we do have choice in our lives. Certainly the experience of living with an eating disorder is the opposite of choice. It is rigidity. It is rules. It is really this imprisoned sense where you do not have choice. And so I believe the way the practices and the teachings of yoga have touched me and what I see happening for others is that these teachings and these practices open up us up to recognize that we do have choice. Just because we reacted one way to a situation doesn't mean we have to do it again, right? So eating disorders, one of the reasons that they're so difficult to recover from is that because the behaviors and thoughts are so habitual, right? So the neural pathways in the brain are so strongly present that the behavior becomes just the default behavior. So having to rewire that, having to recognize that, no, that's one choice I can make, but there are others, right? So if I've had a difficult conversation, maybe in the past, the default would be, you know, I feel worked up now and I need to go use an eating disorder symptom to deal with that. But when we realize we have choice, we could say, wait a second. All right. Yeah. The eating disorder may be a choice, but is that the choice that aligns with my values? What are some other options I have? And so learning that it is a choice to respect yourself, that it is a choice to feed yourself, that it is a choice to resolve incongruencies, that it is a choice to take an action that isn't based on, am I being perfect right now or not? Just recognizing that we have choice. And I feel certainly on our yoga mats, when we're exploring our different shapes, that there's a lot of opportunity to explore this power of choice. And I think that's a beautiful place to learn that we have choice. Just that word choice, right? I can choose to take it out on myself or mm-hmm. I can choose a different way. And it's such, you know, an empowering way of healing, right? Giving back to yourself a sense of agency and power. And really when we're talking about yoga therapy, that's what we do. As yoga therapists, we empower other folks to embrace what they need to do to help them feel whole or return to balance, right? It's not about treating someone in a way that a doctor might or something like that. So I can see how this is just so fundamental to sort of the yoga therapy as it relates to your healing journey and now the work that you share in the world too. And and that's, I think, a good tie-in with the check-in with yourself section that you have at the end of each chapter so that readers can explore what they're learning along the way. And this is what we want to see folks do too, is to kind of make sure that we're meeting them where they are, right? And then they're finding practices that they can embrace on a daily or regular basis to help So I'd like to know what your practices might look like now, even on a regular basis to keep you on your path. Can you share with our listeners what those might look like? Yeah, absolutely. With the change of seasons right now, my favorite practice is being outside, literally just sitting outside and attuning my senses to what's around me, starting to sense the, the, see the leaves changing a little bit or the change in the temperature of the air or for me, it's it's very um, sense, senses focused right now. I find a lot of peace sitting outside, 
Maybe I'll set my timer for 10 minutes, put my phone somewhere that I can't reach it <laughs> and just sit and kind of be in the space of nature. That's a very, very soothing, grounding, centering practice for me. Every day, most days I should say, I do some gentle movement. I do some intentional mindful movement with some breath. Poetry is a really important practice for me. Journaling has been an important practice for me for, you know, a practice of self-study. I also find my, my practice right now is, is just remembering to take a breath, take a breath in between tasks because it's so easy for tasks to run into one into the other. And so that just intentional pausing for me, putting my hand on my heart, giving myself two or three breaths, I would say they're the core of, of my daily practices. And most of them do not happen on a mat. They're happening within the day. I have grounding stones everywhere. <laughs> so I okay. always, I have a grounding stone in my hand right now, right? Just small, intentional practices, right? That help me to stay here now and help me to stay here now so that I'm not only holding, being present within myself, but I'm holding space for my clients or I'm present to my children or I'm tuning in, checking in with what I need. So a lot of self-study type practices, I would say, are, are, are kind of where I'm at right now. That's so beautiful, Jennifer. And uh, I really enjoyed speaking with you today. And I can see just really how your story and the way in which you share it is of benefit to others. And I so appreciate you putting it out in the world in that way. And for those listening, if you'd like to learn more about Jennifer and see what she's up to, you can go to yoga for eating disorders.com and that's the number four. And I'll also share the link in our show notes. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Michelle. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, visit us at innerpeaceyogatherapy.com. <laughs>